This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Welcome to another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor, joined by David, Brady, and Jordan this week. Uh, we're going to be breaking down, first of all, this late-breaking news of Coach Sean Elliott's uh, contract extension, do a little bit of Arkansas State game recap action, and then head and look forward uh, to the Troy game. And we're going to be bringing in uh, Scott Watkins from the Sunbelt pages on Twitter and the Trojan Wall to discuss and help us break down the Panthers' next opponent. And then we're going to grab a listener question or two. But let's get this out of the way. Late breaking news here on the Thursday night podcast. Uh, Georgia State head coach Sean Elliott uh, just signed a five year extension to his contract. What does that mean for the state of the Panthers moving forward? Yeah, uh, this news came courtesy of Ben Moore, 24 seven sports. So Coach Elliott gets a bump from about 550,000 a year to 700,000 a year as a base salary. And then there's some bonuses tied into where he can earn up to just over a million a year. And I guess my first thought is just good for all parties. He gets a pay rise. He gets some security. The athletic department, Charlie Cobb gets security with knowing that he's locked in and not dealing with any looming contract dates coming up. And team has had success. Two bowl games in the the first three seasons. Um, remains to be seen what happens the rest of this year, but I don't think you can say that he doesn't deserve a reward for what he's been able to do so far in Atlanta. Yes, he's absolutely deserving. Um, I still think if you take away that weird me 18 season where they only won two games and, you know, there was a lot of injuries and some luck didn't go the Panthers way. You know, I think his record is above 500 with his time at Georgia state. Um, Obviously, you can't just discount that season, but it's not necessarily his fault or anything. And, you know, Coach Elliott has really changed kind of the, I guess, mojo, you could say, of the Georgia State program. You know, I don't think and, uh, you know, no disrespect to any of the previous coaches before Coach Elliott, but I don't think any of those previous Georgia State teams go up to Tennessee and win last year, you know, or or are as convincing at knocking on the door of bull eligibility as coach Elliott has got these Panthers. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a buzzword that people throw around a lot and just kind of just throw around whatever, but I think coach Elliott really has done a lot to change the culture here at Georgia state, especially for a program that is as relatively young in its, you know, existence, you know, having somebody that can come in and keep the consistency and not just, you know, have a new coach every three or four years and things don't start to work out. Like now that we're able to start building on these building blocks that Coach Elliott has start to lay the foundation for kind of long term success for this team. So I'm super excited for him. Very excited for for, for like from a, a Panthers fan perspective. Um, and hopefully this ends up being a positive uh, on both sides. Uh, worth noting, it's the first time a Georgia State coach has gotten an extension on their initial contract. Was not the case for either Bill Curry or Trent Miles. So that's noteworthy. And I guess my last point is that it can only have a positive effect in recruiting just because any recruits looking in don't have to look and see, you know, is he going to be there in two years? Well, yeah, the contract's through 2025. So anyone he's signing this year knows that unless he were to take another job, he'd be there the entire time they're there. So if the coaching staff and Coach Elliott is the reason why they want to come to Georgia State, they can look in and see that there's a solid, steady situation going on here in Atlanta. So let's move on, talk a little bit about this 59-52 loss at Arkansas State on Thursday. Uh, Panthers went to Jonesboro, missing running back Destin Coates and defensive coordinator Nate Fuquay, uh, Fuquay with COVID issues and then... Uh, Wide receiver Cornelius McCoy was injured and also did not play. Uh, The game did not start out well. Uh, Disaster on the opening punt for Georgia State gave Arkansas State a five-yard field. And, of course, they quickly uh, converted that for a 7-0 lead. Like I said, slow offensive start. And then there was an explosion from both teams, and it seems like it kind of became a race for who could get to 50 the fastest. Uh, Quad Brown, 18 for 35 on completions, uh, 314 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And of course, Tucker Gregg had a banner day as kind of the 
de facto running back to replace Destin Coates when he wasn't playing. Uh, he had a career high, 142 rushing yards and a score. Sam Pinckney had back-to-back weeks with high a career high in receiving yards, 146 yards and a career high three touchdowns. I believe that is a tie as well for him. Uh, Arkansas State, however, too much to handle on offense. Logan Bonner and Lane Hatcher combined for 551 yards and seven touchdowns. Dahu Green and Jonathan Adams, 19 catches for 349 yards and four of those touchdowns. And of course, in the end, toward the end of the game, Quad made a heave to Pinckney on fourth and five in the end and fell incomplete. Georgia State came up short and the Red Wolves escaped a offensive slugfest 59-52. Gentlemen, what are our thoughts on this game? I obviously the the first thing to say is it is hard to score 52 points in a game and lose. My first thought was uh, because George State actually scored 52 against Arkansas State last year, that what are the odds that you put up 52 on the same team two years in a row and don't go to and oh, just one of those weird statistical anomalies. Um, uh, you spelled it out well with all the, the numbers. Arkansas State had a great day passing the ball and the defense just whatever it was the the secondary had a tough day the receivers are very good the quarterbacks were very on it and you can't give up 59 points and expect to win yeah no I mean you said it really well right there anytime you give up 59 points it's be pretty hard to come away with a win even if you score 52 points um i guess for me i took the optimist route when watching that game you know at a certain point it became more or less a coin flip georgia state lost the coin flip and they lost the game um i think there was a couple of different things that they could have done you know a little bit better does arkansas state start off with a 7-0 lead if Michael Hayes fields that punt well probably not um and they at least are pushed back so you know you force the defense to have to adjust and you know you might have been able to force Arkansas State to punt you know obviously Georgia State scored 52 points but you know they came out flat in the beginning and then they had their way relatively with the Red Wolves so you know I think we could nitpick the defense and you know I'm sure there are are alarm bells going off in the Panther fandom about, okay, is this actually a good defense? Like what happened sometimes though, you just have to tip your cap to the other team. And I think that the red wolves two quarterback strategy is weird, but it really worked last Thursday. So hats off to them. Yeah, I guess in general in sports, I'm not really a reactionary. And so I think we had a lot of good things to say about the defense after the ECU game because they played really well against ECU. But I don't think that at that point I was like, okay, uh, you know, let's let go to the SEC. They've earned their, you know, top defense, bunch of first round draft, you know, like even then I don't think I was saying, you know, they're the world beating the best defense. And in the same way, I'm not looking at this game and saying, Worst, you know, worst FBS defense, you know, really, really, really bad because it's just one game and it was a really good Arkansas State offense that was clicking. I, I also just, we talked about it last time, the two quarterback thing didn't really make sense to me, but after seeing it play out, they were both fresh the entire game and they were making throws and both of them were in a rhythm, which I didn't think would have been that possible. Cause I thought the one big issue would have been either guy getting into a rhythm, but obviously they were used to it playing every other series and it was fine. Um, I guess the part where I can say aside from just like, it would be nice if Jonathan Adams got covered and didn't get 15 catches um, in the first half, Georgia state got four sacks and got a forced fumble. Jordan Strong forced the fumble. Blake Carroll took it back for 74 yards, and it made the first time in program history that the defense has scored defensive touchdowns in back-to-back games, so that was an achievement. But the sacks and the pressure in general kind of dried up in the second half. There were no sacks. Uh, I think there was one play where the ball got batted at the line, and it's one of those where it got tipped up in the air and somehow it fell into an Arkansas State player's hands instead of a Georgia State guy getting an interception. So plays like that make you think, okay, it just wasn't your day, but 
we talked about and coach Elliott talked about the pressure was going to be important to not let them settle in. And more often than not, they could drop back. They had time and the receivers had time to get open. And if you're not getting to the quarterback and you're not getting them off his rhythm, then the cornerbacks can have great coverage for a normal time that they'd be expected to. And it doesn't matter if they, the quarterback still has time after that to wait for him to get open. Cause it's really hard to stay with receivers in coverage, especially receivers as good as green and Adams. Oh, for sure. And you know, while we sit there and kind of lament on the defensive performance in we still have to talk about how that the Red Wolves defense didn't really do much against Georgia state either. Um, yes, they did have the stop to end the game and to win it. And like, I understand that, but I mean, quad and company, I mean, if going into Thursday's game, you lose the starting running back for the, the Panthers lose their starting running back in Destin Coates. And then, you know, kind of their wide receiver one, if you want to call it that Cornelius McCoy is also not going to play. So you're probably thinking, all right, how are the Panthers going to manufacture some offense? And of course they just go out there and, you know, have their highest point total of the season so far, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I've think to a degree, uh, just the blocking and the scheme is so good that, it's really suited well for a lot of, you know, whoever you can run out, but at running back or quarterback, I mean, that's in a way a little disrespectful because I thought that Tucker Greg had a really good game and it wasn't just like, you know, anyone can do it, but the blocking was really on point and the running backs were hitting the holes. We saw Tucker Greg with his 142 career. high. quad had 83 yards on the ground. The highlight were, highlight reel 35 yard score where we dove into the end zone. We saw Jam Williams for the first time in running back and he looked very polished there. Excited to see what he can continue to do. And Seth Page made his season debut and he looked like a guy who hadn't played all season and was still kind of finding his rhythm, but we know what Seth can do, especially when he gets a big hole to run through. No doubt that he can get back to doing that even this game against Troy coming up. Um but yeah, I, I, the, the one thing you can say, and I mentioned this in my, upon further review this week, uh, definitely go to the website and read that anyway. But the point on the offense I had is that it ended up being a seven point loss and Georgia state spotted Arkansas state seven at the beginning and went three drives, three and out to start the game. And you just wonder if they could start a little bit early. We know now that this offense has no problem scoring and scoring fast, and that's just a fact. I mean, it's just, it's a quick hitting offense and quad looks for the big plays more often than not, which I think is a positive attribute you want from your quarterback to look for those big plays, but they couldn't put together drives and ended up with just over 24 minutes possession, which led to Arkansas state having 98 plays, 96 plays total that they ran on offense, which is also putting your defense in a hole that being out and defending that many plays is just asking a lot. And with the slow start as well. You can't really blame the offense at all because they put up 52 points. They had a great game, all things considered. But I think if you're looking for something to improve going forward, just not going and waiting until the fourth drive to score because it made a difference in this game and you can't spot your opponent three scoreless drives every game and expect it to still be a seven-point game at that point. Absolutely. And I do want to hit on those first three drives uh, because there was something that I saw during the game. And while it didn't really affect the game, you know, that loss of Destin Coates, I think early really did not help the Panthers. Um, you know, the first third, so the Panthers had three third downs on those three drives, obviously. Um, the first one was third and three, you know, the quad throws a pass to Roger Carter. Carter doesn't come down to it. You know, that was the drive where Hayes fumbled it and Arkansas State was at the five-yard line. But how many times have we seen Destin Coates, you know, in third and short situations this year, just churn his legs and pick up the first down, you know? And you did see Tucker Gregg kind of doing that at the later on in the game. But, you know, the next drive, the third down was third and six. Okay, quad misses 
Pinkney over the middle, fine, whatever. The, the the last one of those three drives was a third and two. Seth Page gets it, gets about a yard. It was a long two, but he gets about a yard and couldn't get it. And I just, I can't help but think if Destin Coates was playing, you know, how the complexity of those drives change. Now, obviously, it didn't really matter in the grand scheme of the game because Georgia State was in it. And, you know, they after that, they kind of got their legs underneath them. But imagine if, you know, some of those early drives took some more time off the clock or, you know, they had a long drive and, you know, scored points because outside before Tucker Gregg busted through that 56 yard run on their eventual touchdown drive georgia state was kind of reeling offensively you know yeah i mean we have seen now that it is sort of the offense this year has been times where they're just unstoppable and they just put drives together we saw it the entire first half against ecu except for the pick six they quad through in the first play of the game and pretty much from that tucker greg run until the final drive that ended with a fourth down uh, incompletion that ended the game. That was basically Georgia state just doing what they wanted it to will. And so it's just those small spurts where they're just nothing doing that if they can get that cleaned up and if it can turn drives that are three and outs into 10 play drives that keep the offense on the field, preferably with points, a field goal at worst, but you know, even if it's just putting the drive together, I think that can make the difference because like I say, I think the one thing that the offense didn't do that would have helped the defense is just continue to have plays. I, and it's, it's funny to say that because 24 minutes possession isn't a lot. And yet the offense still got off 76 plays and averaged 7.7 yards per play, which is incredible. And it it just the problem is that I think there was just one time the defense might have needed just to give us a break, give us a beat, get us six minutes off the field without having to play defense. And I think that's the next thing that comes for quad because he's definitely got the playmaking down and he definitely has a rapport with Sam Pinckney and he trusts Sam against any DB and I definitely can't blame him because Sam has been very good these last two games. But I think the next step is putting together drives because we've seen that in this team under coach Elliott before where that's been a strength of the team, especially last year where they could just put together plays get to a third and short three times down the field and convert every time and just milk the clock. And once he's got that facet, if he's also got the big play facet, then that's going to make just an impossible thing for opposing defenses to stop. But he's a freshman. He can definitely get there. And it's easier to coach that part of it up than to coach instincts on how to make big plays happen. So you take what you get from a freshman and what you get from quad right now is still very good. Absolutely. Um, I think you're right. I think his incompletions kind of come in bunches, if you will. So kind of being able to extend drives will be that next step. And if he gets it there, I mean, you're talking about one of the best quarterbacks in the conference, you know, like we've already seen through three games, you know, a dynamic guy with both the arm and the legs. I mean, he I think kind of the game situation dictated that he wasn't going to take it himself, but there was a chance on Thursday where he could have easily thrown for, you know, 300 yards and rushed for a hundred yards. You know, I, I even mentioned it. um, I think during the game, either during the game or afterwards that he was very close, you know, to eclipsing the century mark as a runner as well. So, you know, going to happen soon. Absolutely. It could happen this week against Troy. Yes, Definitely. The Troy game could be that opportunity. And we're going to move on to talk about the Troy game now. Uh, we had the opportunity to have Scott Watkins of the Sunbelt Pages and the Trojan Wall on to talk about Troy, get the Troy perspective, and we're going to play that interview now. All right, we're pleased to be joined right now by Scott Watkins of the Sunbelt Pages and the Trojan Wall. Uh, thank you, Scott, for joining us during Georgia State's Troy week. Yeah, no problem. Uh, always happy to join you guys. 
Well, I guess I'll start off the discussion uh, from the outside, at least based on the schedule Troy has played in 2020. It looks like Troy should be three and one. And lo and behold, Troy is three and one. They beat Middle Tennessee. They beat Texas State and they beat Eastern Kentucky and they lost to BYU, who's a very good team. But past the box scores, can you kind of color in the details of what you've seen from this Troy team so far? Yeah, we've seen a little bit of a little bit of hot, a little bit of cold. I mean, they came out really on fire. They absolutely dismantled Middle Tennessee State, and of course, got ran through by BYU, just like almost everybody else has. who's had to face them, and then uh, the next the next game, two weeks later, Troy came out and probably had its best defensive performance of the Chip Lindsey era against Texas State, and then on Saturday, almost pulled a uh, an Abilene Christian from five years ago and lost to FCS Eastern Kentucky needed a, a late field goal to win that one so it's it's really been back and forth uh, but they're three and one and they're one and0 at one possession games which is is really big I know it's Eastern Kentucky but last year Troy was 0 and three in one possession games all of them in the first half of the season and it directly resulted in a five to seven year so right now this this three and one I still say it's a good three and one Hey, that makes sense. You know, you get any any wins that you have, you want to bank those, um, you know, but I kind of wanted to talk about some of the defensive players that you guys have. Um, obviously, Troy's three and one, you know, and during the preseason, Carlton Marshall got a lot of recognition as a key member for the defense. Um, but in those three wins, kind of who have you seen that stepped up around him Um and even uh, obviously BYU is BYU, but who have you seen that has stepped up on the defensive side of the ball so far this season? Well, the, the players that have been standing out uh, this year, you know, other than the, the guys that we know about, um, we've, we saw a big game from Jaden McDonald, a, a linebacker. Uh, he transferred in from Iowa. He had a big game against Texas state. And then, uh, against Eastern Kentucky, K.J. Robinson, another linebacker, had 11 tackles, a career high. So th- there are pieces. You know, Will Cholo up front is a very disruptive force. But he's a he's a known commodity. There's Del Pettis in the defensive backfield. He's a known commodity. And, of course, like you said, Carlton Marshall. So far, the guys that have really came up and stepped out are other linebackers, which is really big. Because that's something that Troy's been kind of – it, it needs more depth at it needs more known depth and talent at is in that front seven. You got the star power and Marshall and, and uh, Will Cholo. They needed other people to step up in there. And so KJ Robinson and Jaden McDonald coming out and, uh, and making plays that that's really big. Jaden McDonald's actually leading the team in total tackles while he's tied with Carlton Marshall in total tackles. So it, it's, it's, they've been boosted by those two guys. Makes sense. Um, and then I kind of wanted to switch gears to the running back room specifically. Um, so with BJ Smith kind of coming back from his injury last year and then DK Billingsley coming back, talk about how the running back room has adjusted and found touches for everyone given the return of those two guys. And then, you know, probably the surprise emergence of freshman Kimani Vidal. Yeah, he's a, he's a big surprise to everyone else. Uh, he came in and took over pretty much right away last year. DK definitely, you know, a lot of yards, but that was completely out of necessity. He came in as running back number three and the two guys ahead of him got taken out for the year. And then the guy behind him got taken out. There was uh, he, he was at one point, the only scholarship running back left. Uh, there was a story last year when Troy went up to Ohio to play Akron they had to call up a, an old walk-on running back from like the year before who was working as a uh, Uber Eats delivery driver or something, DoorDash, and that was it. And they called him up for that one game because Troy had no running backs left. This year is completely different. Uh, Charles Strong, Texas A&M transfer is uh, eligible this year. BJ Smith, of course, like you said, is healthy. And now Kamani Vidal. So, this is a team chip Lindsay runs a lot of running backs out there a lot of wide receivers out there and so it it's not that hard to get everybody the touches especially when you throw in the fact that Lindsay loves to throw the ball to the running backs against eastern kentucky bj smith had a career high 96 receiving yards while kamani Vidal had a career high 140 something rushing yards 
So that's how the touches are kind of being spread out is that that air game kind of helps. Charles Strong gets the ball in um, usually goal-to-go situations and try to push the pile a little bit. DK will get in there a few times. But for the most part, I think you're going to see Kamani and BJ uh, be, be the two guys down the stretch. And then uh, Detroit secondary has had two great games and then two lackluster games. Where does this relatively young unit go from here and how do they get there through the remainder of the season? So they, uh, they went through some schematic changes over the off season. Brandon Hall wanted to run a, uh, last year wanted to run a, a press man coverage secondary. The result was atrocious. The defense was awful. The passing game, the defensive passing game was just, just terrible. And then this year, the, the whole plan is to prevent big plays. So they're throwing out a, uh, this new zone scheme. And uh, that, that's kind of what they're doing now. So it's, it's not so much about physical talent, physical skill level, but more about discipline and being in the right place at the right time. They gave up probably – I'm sure there was another one, but it felt like the first big play, big passing play of the year was on Saturday when uh, Eastern Kentucky was backed up on its own goal line and Troy got aggressive and went man coverage on the outside and Reddy Stewart got burned for a 90-yard touchdown. But after that, th- there was no bump and run, none of that. So Troy is keeping everything in front of them, and I think that that's something that's probably a good thing because uh, it's not leading to these massive touchdowns that Troy – got hit with over and over and over last year. Uh, but it, it's remain, it remains to be seen how well that will hold up. Cause at the same time, it does give up a lot of yardage uh, in between, you know, quad Brown and in the secondary, the wide receivers are going to be there open five yards down the field. But for the most part, uh, they're just, they're just going to have to get it down uh, stay disciplined and know the game plan. But uh, down the stretch, the, the biggest challenge is in, is in front of them. And they haven't, I don't feel like they've really been challenged all that much. I feel like uh, BYU did for sure. And I feel like Texas State had some really good receivers, obviously a couple of good quarterbacks. And they played, they played great in that game. But there's just a, a different animal that's coming with Georgia State and Arkansas State and those two schools and, and several other down the way, Coastal Carolina. So th- this unit is going to have to keep, keep going how they're going. I think they're doing fine. But it's the schematic changes that has uh, led to a slightly better unit. I mean, you said they're hot and they're cold. Well, last year it was cold every game. So I, I feel like this is an improvement. Sticking with the theme of bringing it towards this game against Georgia State, uh, the Panthers last game lost 59-52 at Arkansas State. Gave up 551 passing yards. It was a really not a good performance from the secondary for Georgia State. And you, we obviously talked about the running backs a good bit. Troy runs well, 145 yards a game isn't a bad number. But they throw so far this season, it's been 273 yards passing a game. So do you think it's going to be a situation where the offensive staff is going to try and run a full balanced offense? Or are they going to see what they saw in film against for Georgia State against Arkansas State and pivot to just trying to abandon the run and just throw all day long and try and have the weapon Javik receiver payoff there. It's it's going to be pass first, pass second, uh, using the running backs in the pass game. You know, with the ground attack, it, it's really, I wouldn't say it's been hot or cold. I wouldn't say it's been hot. I wouldn't say it's been, I wouldn't say it's been cold either. It's been stuck in the mud outside of Kamani Vidal. He has been a home, a home run threat. Every time he touches the ball, it seems like he breaks the first tackle uh, on Saturday the run game was averaging two yards a carry until Vidal popped back-to-back 20-plus yard runs. So I, I don't think that they're going to sit on the ground and for very long. This is a team that's averaging four yards a carry. That's that's very average. So I think what you're going to see is, is pass first, pass second, oftentimes pass third. And the running backs are going to get involved in, in that regardless. You know, they're, like I said earlier, they're going to catch their passes. But yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect uh, Troy to do a whole lot on the ground on Saturday. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, the fifty-nine allowed against Arkansas State, obviously a big bad number for Georgia State. But putting up fifty-two points is impressive in any game, and it's actually the same number of points that Georgia State scored against Troy last year. And uh, it's a new quarterback, Quad Brown, for Georgia State. But Brad Glenn's offensive scheme is largely the same, and 
while he's not had everything go perfectly, he's kind of found his niche and especially last game had some big plays working. And so what do you think are going to be the key adjustments from last year's game against Georgia state that Brandon Hall is going to have to make and the defensive unit's going to step up and have to make to avoid it being another game where the Georgia state offense just marches down the field. Well, it'll, it'll go, it goes back to what I said earlier that the new scheme is keep the Georgia state, keep the, the other team's wide receivers in between you and the quarterback, keep everything short, play a short field, and that, and probably just do, just work it like that. Quad Brown's an incredible quarterback. He's 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 come a long way. I remember watching his first uh, real bit of action at Monroe. I was there. I made the horrible decision to drive down there and uh, watch that game. And he looked raw, very very raw to say the least. And this year, he it's just night and day. He's very athletic, and uh, he's going to be a challenge that Troy has not yet seen. This year, Troy has been pretty good about being in short field situations on defense. And I think that that's kind of the whole scheme, the whole schematic thing. What they're trying to do is they keep everything in front of them. And then you get into those short red zone situations where you've got to make a stop. I think that Troy has been pretty okay in that area and uh, a lot better than last year. That's for sure. So that that's where it comes down to. I think that's what it's going to be on Saturday. I think you're going to see a bend, but don't break type defense, at least an attempt to do something like that. And that, that that'll be the, uh, the adjustment that you're looking for. And I guess, I don't know. I'm not one for the prediction business prediction business is always weird, but what do you think will maybe be the one singular thing this comes down to either way, whether it's a Georgia state thing or a Troy thing, what do you think will make the difference possibly in this game? The difference is going to be uh, Troy's offense and how disciplined it's going to be. That's what killed the Trojans on Saturday. Three turnovers on its own side of the field. That is a big part of why it was not a roughly twenty-point win, but instead of instead it was a heartbreak kind, heart heart attack kind of win. Um, three turnovers on on its own side of the field. Defense held strong though in those situations, but Troy is going to have to avoid that. Because against Georgia State, the defense is not going to hold strong every time in those short field situations. Regardless of what I said earlier, it, it's just a different animal. So you're going to have to play a lot more disciplined. And 131 penalty yards is not going to not going to win you any ball games in, in the Sun Belt. It it won against Eastern Kentucky. It's not going to win this week. So playing disciplined and not turning the ball over is going to be the biggest difference here. And before we let you go, aside from just having the beat on Troy. As we mentioned at the start, you're one of the uh, proprietors of the Sunbelt pages, doing great stuff, promoting the conference on Twitter, you know, card carrying member of Funbelt Twitter. So you've kind of got your eyes all around the league. So what are some of the bigger surprises you've seen from the conference as a whole as we're pretty much at the halfway point of this year? I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, and honestly, it's 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 a surprise. I'm not going to say it's not a surprise. It's a surprise. Coastal Carolina, nationally ranked Coastal Carolina. This is a team that we at the Sunbelt Pages, we were very big on defensively coming into the year. We just, we knew about the quarterback carousel and we knew that that's been a plague to the Coastal Carolina team really for several years now. That was fixed. Grayson McCall, a freshman, is a monster. 11 touchdowns, one interception this year, 10.7 yards in attempt. He's, he's just, he hasn't had a bad game yet. He's tearing through this league. That's the surprise right now. It's Coastal Carolina. They are about as perfect of a football team as you could ask for. Yeah, it's been really going well and good, good for the top 25 ranking. Good for the AP recognizing, you know, real recognizing real. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it, it's a dangerous team. I'm not looking forward to when Troy plays them. I don't think any team should be looking forward to, uh, playing Coastal Carolina, a team that can shred you up and down the field on offense and currently averaging seven tackles for loss on defense. They're very disruptive, and uh, they, they get their points. Yeah, they've got a good one there in Coastal. They definitely do. That's definitely something to watch as the season goes on. Um, I wasn't surprised that they beat Louisiana, but I, I will echo your sentiments because they definitely are kind of popped up on the radar this year. 
Uh, it's it's not like the East needed more, you know, really good teams. The East is just a nightmare every year. Absolutely. Hey, the entire East is bow eligible already. That speaks for itself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Scott, listen, thanks for coming on, given the Troy perspective. It it really should be an interesting game. I think both teams are going to learn a lot about each other or, and about themselves after this game Saturday. Absolutely. I said it in the uh, Somo Pages podcast earlier. I don't, I need to see if that's up and running. Uh, but yeah, this is going to be a big tell all game. I think for mostly for Troy, I think Georgia state, we've kind of seen what they can do against, uh, several different teams of similar skill levels. And, uh, with Troy, I don't, I don't know. I, it's a big, I don't know. I think Georgia state is the closest team from a, a skill level standpoint that Troy will play up to this point. So it's going to be a big, a big tell all kind of game. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. And you. (laughs) Take care. So again, thanks to Scott. That was our interview with Scott Watkins talking about the Troy game. And I just wanted to start our discussion about the Troy game after what Scott said. He kind of spelled out that the defensive philosophy for Troy was going to be the season had been and would continue to be for the Georgia State game. Trying to keep everything in front of the offense and try and make them drive. And when I was listening to that, my thought was, this is kind of what he's saying that their defensive coordinator wanted to do in general, but it's also kind of the way to beat quad right now. We were just talking about it before uh, when we talked about the Arkansas State game that quad has sometimes the incompletions have come in bunches and he struggled to put drives together. And I think that if this is the time where quad is able to put drives together and is not so big play reliant, then it could be a good day for Georgia state. And if he continues to struggle in that regard, if Troy is able to implement their game plan, it could be more of a struggle day for the offense. Execution is going to be really important for both right and Georgia state. Um, you know, the game plan to stop quad seems simple. Keep everything in front of him. You know, don't let his receivers get deep. I think the problem with that is if you keep everything in front of you, you kind of leave the just pass or, you know, defensive line open. And I mean, we've seen a ton of Georgia State players this year, the ball in space and just, you know, creating something out of nothing you know jamari thrash last game sam pinkney you know in the the crazy bobbles that he had against the red wolves you know we've seen destin Coates in space you know and so i think it's going to be interesting to see the defensive coordinator's perspective when stopping georgia state um i think at the end of the day they're still a good running team so you can't necessarily just keep everybody back because they will audible out and you know when you're when you've kind of let offenses have control of the line of scrimmage because you're playing off i mean that is just asking for one of those read option plays to just go terribly wrong for you you know you get a guard swinging and into you know that that second level blocking and you know we could be talking about very big very big holes um so it's a cat and mouse game obviously that's that's how you play football Yeah, and then just one other point I had just on Troy's offense and Georgia State. Georgia State struggled past defense against Arkansas State, and Georgia State got four sacks in the first half and none in the second half and struggled on defense as a result. And Troy's already given up 10 sacks in their four games this year, and Gunnar Watson's their quarterback. He's one of the tops in the Sun Belt this year. Uh, He's a sophomore, he looks like another guy that it's the Sunbelt East is just going to be chock full of young quarterbacks that are just going to get better and better. But he isn't particularly mobile. And it's a situation where, again, if you can get the pressure in there and keep it consistent all four quarters, he has not made a ton of mistakes this year. He's only got three interceptions on the year, but two of them were in the last game when they escaped against Eastern Kentucky. And the first one was just, it was a third down. He forced a throw because pressure was coming his way. It was just a bad throw over the middle that Eastern Kentucky was ready for. So if the front seven can get pressure 
and force one of those throws, the DBs are going to have to have their heads up and be ready to make a play. Given that, and given that it's about pressure and that Georgia State ha- also themselves have 10 sacks on the year and have already created five interceptions, I'll go ahead and put it out there. I wouldn't be shocked if they keep the pick six or the, the, the defensive touchdown streak going this week. I think there's an opportunity there for another defensive score to make it three in a row. Going to just put it out there. Yeah, I mean, obviously they looked bad, and I know that we're not reactionary, but and I saw two good defensive performances and one really, really bad one. And I like the data tells me that it's a better defense than what we saw last week. And like Gunnar Watson, you know, he's as you said, he's a good young quarterback. You know, he's kind of lighting it up. The Troy Trojans are not as prolific a passing offense as the Arkansas State Red Wolves. They average about 100 yards less per game through the air. Now, that's kind of offset because they do have some good running backs, you know, B.J. Smith, D.K. Billingsley, Kamani Vidal, you know, so that's definitely something that the defense is going to have to worry about. Um, I don't know, like, I can't sit here and say that I expect a repeat of last week necessarily on the defensive side for Georgia state. I can't, you know, and and even like you said, the first half, they made some plays, obviously, you know, Arkansas state had their way, you know, and I think playing 60 minutes of great football for the defense is going to be better, you know? And I mean, if I'm Troy, I'm going to look at what Arkansas state did in the second half and kind of working, you know, the out routes and, you know, the fades and not necessarily everything deep over the top, because that's really what killed Georgia state because those quick passes completely took the Georgia state defensive line out of the game completely. It's true. And that is part of the credit that goes to the no sacks in the second half is they made an adjustment at halftime. Uh, We did have a question about because defensive coordinator, Nate Fuqua was not at the game, the impact of maybe having him back. And I guess we should start with the disclaimer that as of recording, we still don't know for sure. Anyone who had a COVID issue flare up is definitely back this week. Uh, The team tests, I believe they get the tests back Wednesday or Thursday of the game week, and they know by Friday if they're traveling. So it's probably going to be another situation where we know on game day what's up there. Um, But I don't know. It's hard to quantify what your defensive coordinator not being there is on the impact of the game. Obviously it has an impact and obviously you can't discount it as a reason or just a part of what transpired, but I'll just say that, you know, whether he was there, whether he wasn't there, whether he is there this week, whether he wasn't the defense has got to feel a little bit like they have something to prove. I I know that they are not going to want to give up 59 again, not want to give up 550 passing yards again. So we'll see what the response from that is. I know that that has probably just been something they've not wanted to live with the past week. And it's just going to be whether the adjustments are made and all that goes with that. Uh, So thank you to Carlos for the question about that. And we've got time for one more question from Mike from Marietta. First off, uh, how are the chicken wings from last week? And then question for this week, should grown men or women wear uh, jerseys to football games? Discuss. Well, I actually did get chicken wings. I don't know if Brady ever ended up getting his wings or not, but mine were really good. I enjoyed them. Uh, And uh, yeah, I'll let Brady answer about his food choices and then we can dive into this topic. I did eat wings last week. Didn't end up being on game day, but um, mm, for shame, Brady, for shame, for shame. I my stance, my stance on wings and football remains. Um, I ended up having wings in a baseball game instead, which a little bit different. I don't know. Wings and baseball don't necessarily have the connection like that, but they were good. Lemon pepper wings all the same. Now, as for this week's question, yeah. yeah, as for this week's question, I think that there's a line you can cross with fandom. I'm not saying no one, it it is impossible to be too much of a fan, but I'm definitely not for fan shaming about what people wear, you know, wear a Jersey, wear face paint, do whatever, like be a fan. Just don't cross the line in like a human sense. Like the Ohio state fan who showed up to the coach's funeral decked out and signed the players only page and stuff like that. Like Mm. there is, there is a way to be a bad fan. God, I, I, I've never heard of that, and that just makes my skin crawl. That's so awkward. 
Yeah, just really uncomfortable stuff. But Ugh. at games, yeah, wear whatever you want. I I I think that um you can not show too much spirit at games like that. Remember Maybe. the picture of a uh, of Bob Marlin wearing <laughs> spikes? Yeah, oh, that was uh even that's good, mm. you know? That's fine. We're spikes, well, no. in know? that specific instance, it's not good because it's Bob, but <laughs> in the, in the actions in which he's being portrayed are not necessarily <laughs> something that we should shame him about. There are plenty of other reasons to shame Bob Marlin. Yeah, I uh <laughs> I, I will say though, getting a little bit uh more back on topic, that I for one yearn for the day where Georgia State has obnoxious super fans, just for the fact that that means Georgia State would have obnoxious super fans. But I mean, yeah, don't do what you want. Don't act like an idiot. But hey, if you're showing up, you're supporting the team, you're enthusiastic and you're getting other people into it. I don't see how there's any way for that to be bad until your behavior crosses the line. It doesn't matter what you wear. Yeah, I've heard people I've heard this this question passed around quite a bit. Should grown men wear other grown men's jerseys? And I just like have no problem with that at all. I mean, like if if you don't want to, that's totally cool. But I don't think anyone should feel like they have to fan a certain way because some people don't fan that way. So I am all all on the jersey train. I own quite a few jerseys uh, across all sports. Uh, have no problem wearing them. Have no problem with anybody wearing them. Fan how you want to fan. I also don't understand the like negative implications of jersey wearing. Like what? What about wearing jerseys looks bad to people? It's not it's masculine. Just... You gotta. You gotta. <laughs> it, 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 you can't wear another man's name on your back. I guess. <laughs> okay, I that's... that's just some of the reasoning I've heard people give. This is quite a for for some reason this seems to be a hot button issue for for a certain section of the population. Yeah, um, I don't care. Or, you know, like uh, personally, I think people who wear like a full jersey, like you know, jersey and pants, I think that looks tacky. But I'm not going to tell you not to do it. Have you I mean, ever seen anybody wearing like a, an actual football uniform as a fan to an event like that? Yes, like not pads? college, but. Yes, I really have, I have never that. once oh in my, my years and years yes. of attending sports games in person have yes. ever seen somebody wearing like a full, like a uniform, not the like oh, yeah. pants with the pad. Like, <laughs> no, I went I'm to... assuming they forget the pads. I mean, I guess we shouldn't assume uh, someone's anything, probably done it. They're not wearing like shell <laughs> underneath. No, actually went to, I, I think it was in 2012. The bears were visiting the Falcons and I somehow got tickets. Um, and I did see somebody in full Jay Cutler shame somebody in that specific <laughs> instance and it all centers around just specifically cosplaying as Jay Cutler. <laughs> that's fair i mean that is fair well do they have the, the casually hanging cigarette out of his mouth that's really the only way to truly <laughs> capture jay cutler's essence no unfortunately because it was a stadium in the united states so they couldn't bring cigarettes in. a bunch of fascists <laughs> Now, I will say completely off topic, but slightly related to this conversation. I think it's worthwhile. The very first college football game I ever attended was a Wake Forest Demon Deacons at Duke Blue Devils uh, college football game in uh, maybe 2009. It was like when I had first started being in the mode of like starting to think about like, oh, I wanted to like start looking at like, you know, what kind of schools I want to go to. And my dad was like, hey, let's go to a college football game. See what like the marching band experience is all about. That's one hell of a first college football game to experience at that point. Well, it was over (laughs) Thanksgiving and uh, we didn't realize until after halftime because the band didn't show up that the band was given (laughs) Thanksgiving off. So the only we never got Thanksgiving off. I know, right? First of all, where's my Thanksgiving off? And second, the only other memorable part of that, which is what ties it into this, how do you like wearing what you want to the games fandom was there was a uh, Duke fan seated uh, approximately two, three seats next to us that was wearing nothing but a very skin tight blue morph suit. That's okay. All right. Yeah. Was very worried where that was going. <laughs> morph suit is a positive outcome of that sentence for sure. But me being like 14 years old, had never been to a college football game, was just very weirded out by. So like, not even any like shorts or anything. No, literally, no shorts. Oh no, hat, no, no, oh, no. no. It was literally just no. the, just the morph suit. 
Okay, because we we've had like morph suit guys, but they've been wearing respectable about shorts. it. Like, there's a there's a protocol to wearing a morph suit in person. This this was certainly not followed by this gentleman. That is that's horrifying. Also baffling as to why a Duke person supporting their football team in late November would wear nothing but a morph suit at and a football how you want game. A fan, I guess. And it's dedication. Yeah. That's yeah. one word for it. Dr. All right. Pepper is proud. I, I like how we started just we're like, we're not going to fan shame. And then just in the this separate category, we're like, we are now fan shaming. This, this isn't fan shaming, Brady. This is out of genuine concern for this, this is, man's mental well-being and his physical well-being wearing nothing but a morph suit in late November in North Carolina. Anyway, no. I like Duke's jerseys. Wear jerseys if you like jerseys. It. Don't wear jerseys if you don't like jerseys. Go Panthers, I guess. Yeah. Any any jerseys people wear are just going to support the athletics department. So I guess in that realm, I'm very much for people wearing jerseys to football games. Also, it'd be nice if the bookstore sold actual, authentic, like correct jerseys. But that is a completely separate discussion that uh, we probably don't have time for here. But yeah, uh, definitely pro as long as you wear shorts with. Uh, <laughs> Any athletic wear. Fan how you want a fan, except cover what's got to be covered. Very weird disclaimer if you missed all of that conversation. (laughs) If you just came in for the last 30 seconds of this podcast, you're probably going to miss a lot. Do do, do people do that? I hope so. Just skip willy nilly around a podcast. Okay. There's no. I I can like a true podcast editor. (laughs) I mean, yeah, okay. That works. Well, on that note, that's going to do it for this week on the Thursday Night Podcast. If you've made it this far, thank you for sticking with us. Hopefully, you'll hear us uh, next speaking and pontificating on a great Georgia State win over the Troy Trojans. Till then, see you. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.